Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. Guys, welcome back. Episode 20, Mission Whitetail. Merry Christmas. It's a couple days after Christmas. We did have a guest that was scheduled to come on today, but unfortunately his work schedule got all jumbled up and they had a bunch of people missing, so he had to fill in, so he's not able to do today. So this is a bit of a winger, but uh, we we'll, uh, we got some good stuff to talk about. Um Let's start off, like always, with a season update. And, I mean, really for us, South Carolina, we're in our last week of the season. Um, a lot of seasons are closing up into December. And then we get into a couple spots that have late season stuff, like like uh, Ohio goes super late. I think Kentucky goes to mid-January. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about Missouri, Iowa. I don't know about that. Um, Illinois goes into January. Yeah. Iowa, I think mid-January, and Missouri goes a little bit later, closer to February, I think. I know Ohio goes all the way into February. Yeah. So, guys that are still grinding, still after it, obviously food right now um, is is the key. Kind of getting back into that early season stuff. The deer are going to be bedding close to, to the food. And, man, these bitter <laughs> – this bitter cold. <laughs> I just got my bow back from Mexico. Um, we flew into Dallas – from Laredo, I drove across the border to Laredo. This was on the 22nd and flew to Dallas. The plane was delayed and we didn't get on the plane until like 1130 at night. And they had both doors open and it was about a 20 to 30 mile an hour wind, negative three wind chill. And the wind blowing through that aluminum plane, buddy. Out on a t-shirt and a vest. <laughs> I bet you were happy you were sitting up front. The nips. <laughs> no, I was not happy. I was in the front row. Yeah, no. I was in A1, and I, it was a wind tunnel. I stood, you know that curtain that they have? That separ- I was wrapped up in that, <laughs> in that curtain. The stewardess was kind of hot, too. I kind of tried to get her in the. You want to wrap up? <laughs> yeah, with, with her. She had on some over-the-knee boots. And, oh, ooh, Some Christmas stockings that'll warm me up <laughs> yeah that was about the only good thing about that flight and then we got home at 3 30 it's when i got home and of course none of the bags made it which i really couldn't figure out because it was a four hour delay in dallas the bags <laughs> didn't make it and jack went and picked the bags up from the airport yesterday so the loaders must have been frozen th- they were they, they looked like on that movie christmas story randy the little yeah. brother <laughs> he's got his arms I've never the seen Michelin so, man. I've never seen so many clothes on people. The <laughs> Texans are not used to that kind of weather. Uh-uh. Neither are the South Carolinians. Mm-mm. But uh, Mexico was good, man. The rut was wide open. Um, I was hunting a ten point that actually got missed the week before a guy shot at him, and I hunted him. I think seven sits, killed him the last afternoon. Saw him four times, and finally. A hot doe came in there that he was with, and he just couldn't stand it. He couldn't let her come in there and uh, 
come in there and eat alone. So he came in there and I got a crack at him and hit him good. And um, so got got two good ones in Mexico, man. That was kind of wraps it up for me. I've got one more hunt this year. I'm going to the other side of Mexico, Sonora side, late January, early February, to do a desert mule deer out of a ground blind over water holes, um, which I think will be pretty cool. Uh, never never hunted mule deer in Mexico before, and that'll that'll do it. That's awesome. I've been just holding it down around the the homestead and trying to do what I can to fill the freezer. I shot a big doe. What was it last week or something? Yep. Um, shot a big doe with the new, uh, well, new to me. It was used. I, I got a really good deal on it. But um, the Hoyt Venom Pro, I've been really liking that bow. I set it up in a like a couple hours, started shooting it, and I was shooting really good groups out to 50 with it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a couple tallies on this old bird. So I went out and – all right, talk about that for a minute because, you know, we got the new bow thing going, the custom bow works yeah. that, that we're going to be doing. How was the tuning of the Hoyt compared to the Matthews? Because, you know, we, we've, we've, we've messed with about every bow there is. Yeah. Um, you know, they say that new Bowtech is really easy to tune. Mm-hmm. How was the Hoyt when, when you really dove into it and got after it? The Hoyt was really easy. It was similar to the Matthews um, because they use the the shims uh, between the cams for when you want to shim over the for the uh, the center shot. So you can shim the cams over and just leave the center shot on the rest perfect or dead center. I think it's thirteen sixteenths or five eighths or something like that. It's a little bit different. I know Matthews is thirteen sixteenths, but anyway, same premise. Um, you just shim them however you need it. Shoot it through paper. I got a bullet hole pretty quick, and after that, I just checked it with a walk-back tune, and it was it was flying straight from, you know, 20 out to 50. It was pretty funny that the black gold, my black gold I took off my Matthews, popped it on the, um, the Hoyt, and I was able to use the same tape and everything, so that made the setup quick. I, I zeroed it at 20. And walked back to 55 yards and shot a freaking four-arrow group. And I was like, holy moly. Same speed? It had, it has to be because it was like dead on with um, around that 285, 286. Yep. It was dead on with that same tape. So, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm really liking it. It's a 30-inch it's a bow versus my Traverse that was 33. And I shoot it just as good, and it I can tell. Oh, coming down it's to a the little, it is a little more maneuverable. So uh, huh. <laughs> never would have thought of that before. <laughs> Sometimes you're right, old boy. <laughs> Sometimes I am not right too. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'm really liking it. Good. Um, update on the custom bow works. I know I've looked in the back there and seen quite a few bows back there that you've been working on, and I know guys. You know, once we you know get this season behind us, first of the year. Guys are going to start looking into their new bows. Um, how's that going? It's going really well. I haven't really um, advertised it much because I don't have uh, a whole lot of time to work on anything. But we've got a couple local guys that reached out, and um, I was able to you know stay late and knock out a few things for them. But it's gaining a lot of traction, and um, I'm excited for next year to let it kind of just start snowballing and and start knocking it all out 
But yep. yeah, it's I'm excited for it. Yeah, so you really get started with that first of January. Yeah. And and then be be wide open. So guys, if if you're interested in getting your bow super tuned, custom arrows, reach out to Kevin. Uh Kevin B. Hunting on Instagram. That's probably the easiest. Yeah. Kevin at ICOgear.com. Um speaking of ICO, uh how about that post we got from the guy in Minnesota? Oh my gosh. Negative fifty four <laughs> degrees. He was out um, moving snow in his in his yard. Negative fifty four. Wore late season bibs, jacket, base layers, neck gaiter, beanie. And the picture, all you could see was ice on his eyelids and <laughs> eyebrows. And he said he was toasty the whole time. So I go ahead. No, 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 no. I, uh-uh. um, I was looking at the weather Sunday night, and I was going to try to go after. Um, another try to shoot another doe yesterday morning and uh i saw it was going to be down in the mid-teens and i was like you know what i should probably bring the heavy jacket for tomorrow which is probably the first time i've ever busted out the heavy jacket in south carolina but as i was parking my truck the thermometer on it said it was 15 and all but all i had was like a t-shirt thin shirt this hoodie and then the heavy jacket along with the sherpa bibs oh yeah and holy moly it was the coldest thing naturally was my feet and my hands but i had a a hand muff i can't wait till we get the hand muffs out um those things are money and i just had the thin gloves with one little um hand warmer in there i was so comfortable good to go yep yeah it um i'm you know we, we did a lot of testing like in kansas and alberta but never you know into negative 50 yeah <laughs> uh you, you know that that's insane so we we you know we got a lot of good feedback with our late season gear because of the i mean i guess that's a silver lining i know a lot of guys got messed up for christmas and stuff didn't get delivered and this that and the other um but but i guess a silver lining is a lot of guys got to use the late season gear in some serious serious weather and and all the feedback we got was pretty incredible mm-hmm so that's good. Well, um, I, I shot a doe yesterday with the rifle. I know. that's all. It's, it's fun to take the old longbow out every now and then. So my bow was, has been stuck in Dallas, like I mentioned earlier, and my buddy uh, who gives me permission to hunt on his farm wanted to shoot a bunch of does, and, of course, I, I was going to help with that. But I, so I took my son's rifle and went down there, and um, sure enough, 30 minutes before dark, food plot one came popping out there big fat 120 pounder which is big for for us yeah and uh i was able to actually lay down on the ground so i got a really good rest and shot her at, at distance and man that's the first deer i've shot with a rifle in a long time but yeah heck it got the heart going yeah and, and um that, that was fun and, and so we plenty of meat this year i'm gonna have a full freezer and and very thankful for that i i'm lucky that the wife and Jack, they love to eat it. We, we eat it at least once a week, if not more. Anything we do with hamburger is venison hamburger, and we'll do those whole loins. And, and, and um, that, you know, we'll probably do a goal and, and New Year's resolution thing on the next one when we get into 2023. But I started back, um, you know, the hunting season and, and work season with Osseo was so busy October, November my my working out even with getting up as early as I get up in the mornings got kind of put on the back burner so I, I really started back 
today, um, getting back into the swing of things, back in the gym this morning early, and um, you know, looking forward to getting back to training. Plus, our warehouse looked like a freaking bomb went off with all the stuff we had spread out everywhere. <laughs> the way the way uh, it's been so freaking busy, we haven't had time to really straighten it up until like a few days ago. So you, it, it looked good in there today. Yeah, yeah. I had to, we busted out the shop back and everything, so it's nice. But I'm doing the same thing. I've been able to. The boys started to sleep throughout the night for the most part the last couple months and I've been able to squeak out like 45 minutes to an hour at the gym before coming into work and um I can definitely tell the difference too I was I was hanging (laughs) I was thinking about this the other day I was hanging um doing a hanging hunt with all my I had my bibs and all the rest of my gear on my back and I'm hanging the stick in this crooked ass tree and i'm hanging off by one end and i'm trying to cinch the strap down and hope keep my balance but i can't hold on to the the stick because it's already it's loose and i'm my left leg was burning so bad i was like i wonder what it would be like if i didn't you know do lunges and and weighted step ups and stuff all the all the time would i just give up and say <laughs> I'm getting I mean, in we, a different we, tree you know, we or talk what about that all the time you, you know you don't have to be in good shape to kill deer I mean that that is um you know the guy we were going to have on this morning he, he's a big crossfit guy and, and really gets after it and stays in shape um but but man it helps with every facet of life mm-hmm. um and and you don't have to be a gym rat and spend an hour or two hours every day in the gym, but man, if if you just start doing some some basic stuff, push ups, pull ups, sit ups, man, you know the GBRS boys talk about you know those twenty minute walks, you know mm-hmm. in the mornings and in the evenings to start your day and finish your day, just walking twenty minutes. I mean, all that'll help. Um, yeah, and you never know when you're gonna need it. It's not like you know sometimes you're training for something and then other times you're like, well. Wait a minute, let me go start working out a while before this hits me right now. Um, you just never know when, when you're going to need to be in shape. Or, That's right. Yeah. Um, so I think what we want to get into today, let me pull my notes up here. Um, we want to talk, you know, a guy's hit me up a couple times on Facebook about talking about outfitters and how do you select an outfitter. Um, and, and then I'm going to even – go further with that and we'll get into talking about baiting you know putting out corn and and guys ethics uh you know because all that kind of runs together um mission whitetail the the podcast and what we do is is to is to bring value and and to try and help ourselves and other guys become better bow hunters you know that's that's what we're we're about and and most everything we do is is do it yourself um, obviously, I went down to Mexico, and that was with an outfitter, so that was not really a do-it-yourself. They've got some experience with bow hunting, but I think I, I really l- lended a hand with, with helping them tweak some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that was an outfitted hunt. Um, I went to Alberta this year, and as a non-resident of Canada, you have to hunt with, uh, with an outfitter, or you have to do a hunter-host program, which is – it's not the same thing, but you have to hunt with somebody up there. So there are there are instances when you know we 
hunt with outfitters. Um, so I guess the, the, what the guy wanted to know was how do you select a good outfitter? Because you hear horror story after horror story. I mean, I heard one this year from a guy that, that's, you know, a, a good hunter. He, he's been around. He's hunted a lot. He went to this place in Missouri. There were 55 guys <laughs> opening morning of their gun season. They left at 2.30 in the morning to get them to their stand. Oh. They gave them a bag lunch, and they were picked up at 10 o'clock at night. They just say, see you later. I, I mean, can you – I would have <laughs> – no, I can't. No. The, the, but but you, you hear those stories, not all the time, but you hear them a lot. And, and I have an outfitting business. Sporting Adventures International is an outfitting business. I started at guiding elk and mule deer in Oregon and waterfowl in Mississippi. That, that's, that's how that business started. And it got to a point, I got so, I called it the sad face. Yep. You know, guys would get out there. Um, it, it didn't happen. It, it did happen, I guess, in the Oregon. It was a huge ranch. I worked for the owner of the ranch, and, and he had a lot of mule deer, a lot of elk, and so guys got opportunities. Um, but, you know, so, some would come in, and, and the weather was hot and didn't get as much action, you know. And then the waterfowl was the duck hunting in Mississippi. I called it the long face syndrome because guys would get there, and it would be frozen, and there would be no – There'd be no birds, and they couldn't understand it. They had seen the the, the highlight videos and the yep. and the, the advertisements of these guys holding limits of mallards, and and they'd get the long face. So I I, I completely abandoned all of that, and I said, you know what? I'm only going to offer trips that are 100 percent successful. So I started do, outfitting in Africa and Argentina. Argentina wing shooting is the best in the world. You shoot a thousand doves a day. Africa, you're going to get whatever animal. For the most part, 99% of the time, you're going to get the animal if you're hunting with a good guy. Yep. So how do you select a good whitetail outfitter? You're from Florida, and you want to go hunt in Kansas. You have to have a list of very, very specific questions, and you have to have those questions answered in writing. Um, I set up a hunt this year, and I will not use any names, but I called the guy, and I said, look, I'm interested in coming to Saskatchewan to hunt with you because a buddy had done some waterfowl hunts with this guy and said he had giant whitetails. And I said, but I don't want to book a specific week. I want to be on standby, and when the rut is going and there's some big deer hitting scrapes, that's when I want to come. And I understand that's not the model yeah. that, that guys, that, that you as an outfitter need to use. You, you want to have a commitment. You want to have a deposit. You want to have a certain week that the guy's scheduled to come in. But I'm not interested in doing that. And if that doesn't work for you, that is 100% fine. It's 100% fine. I did all this over the phone. And the guy was like, oh, no, absolutely, we can do that. We can, we can absolutely do that. You know, when they, when they start hitting the scrapes and start daylighting, I'll shoot you a text, you hop on a plane and get up here. And, and I said, okay, great, let's do it. And I sent him a deposit. I never heard, I never heard from him ever. I never heard 
kiss my ass. <laughs> it's cold up here. Not a church. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Not one damn word did I hear. And, and I've been doing this since I was 25 years old. And I did not follow my own, yep. my own rules. If I had put all this in writing and sent it to the guy in writing and he had agreed to it in an email, mm-hmm. then what I would do right now is I would forward him that email and say, what happened? Send me my deposit back. I think the biggest problem was your, your buddies gave you that recommendation and you kind of just took, took the outfitter's word for it after that. They... They put in a good word for them, and it kind of bit you in the ass a little bit. Yeah, but but so so, so here here it is. I'm how big a boy is he? Should we go up there? Drink a half he inch in his ass. He's got a really hot wife. I, I've mentioned yeah. that twice now. I hope Natalie Have doesn't you? listen to this. I mentioned the steward is hot, and this dude's got a hot. Oh wife. yeah, she don't listen to us uh, babble anyway. Never, yeah, she won't listen to it. So uh, so so here's here's what you got to find out. The, the outfitter model, for the most part, is is really is screwed up because how does – what happens, most of these guys get into the business and they have a passion for whitetail hunting, mm-hmm. and the first couple of years are really good. Then they start to get burnt out, and then they look at it as strictly a business. How do they make more money? They, they do a couple of things. They run more hunters – then it gets overhunted. It gets overhunted. They cut down on their leases and put the same number of hunters on fewer properties. Overhunted again. Overhunted again. They go up on their prices and they stop paying for as many leases. So again, you, the 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 overpriced that that can be a way to do it and still remain successful. Um, and, and but there has to be value there. Um, the the questions the traditional outfitter where you go online and look up Illinois outfitters that is the most dangerous thing that you can do they all have pictures of giant bucks they 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 all they know what to say about running trail cameras and getting pictures and you, you know all that but what you need to do and and guess what this might tick off the outfitter you send this list of questions to but you're going to save yourself your, your list of questions needs to be, how many hunters do you run a year? That needs to be the first thing you ask. If he doesn't want to answer these questions, you need to stay away from him. You need to ask, how many acres does he have under lease or owned? So you look at the number of hunters, the number of acres, how many stands does he have hung? How many stands does he um, put out each year? All right, so you got those three things in writing from him. So when you get there and he says, we have four hunters a week and we have 7,500 acres and there's 18 hunters there and everybody's hunting on top of each other and you go into your stand and it, a guy just got out of it the day before, you've got all this stuff in writing. Yep. Um, you, you also you need to ask questions about how they hunt, you know, where the stands are located. You know, you can dig in and find out if the guy really knows what he's doing or if he is 
kind of a fly-by-night. I'm in Illinois. I throw stands up in the woods and walk you in there, and good luck. You know, you drill down. Wh- where are his stands located? What kind of stands is he running? You know, wh- what type stands does he have? Um, how does the process work once you get there? You know, what, what time do you wake up? What time do you get to the stand? Are you going to be sitting all day? Um, you, you know, when, when, does he, when does he start running hunters and how many guys each week? You know, you need to put all this stuff on a list and email it to him and get answers to all of those questions. What I have found is the guys that do the traditional take you out, put you in their stand, pick you up at the end of the day, the, the chances of being successful on a good – it happens. But the chances of being successful with that type hunting – is it's really few and far between. Yep. Um, you know, a, a kind of a horror story, if you will. <clears throat> I hunted with an outfitter in Ohio. Again, won't use names here. But with my outfitting business, I obviously have a large clientele of hunters. And I talked with the guy and I said, look, I want to pay the same as everybody else that's going on this trip but I'm going to bring you throughout the season another 10 to 12 hunters. He ran a really good operation. They killed big deer. He was a great hunter. He had been in it for about four or five years, still had the, still had the bug. So the first year I went up there and I hunted late season and had two camps of guys and everybody had some good, good luck. They either saw a mature buck or they shot. It, it was really good, very well set up. The next year, it, it kind of went downhill. I was helping put him out so he could hunt, <laughs> and I was getting late to my stand. Um, and, and then the third year, I had a – this is back in the Matthews Dominant Bucks days and had a uh, – Tom Miranda sent a cameraman with me to film this – it was going to be an episode, a whole episode for Matthew's Dominant Bucks. And he said, yep, I, I, we got a big deer coming in to, um, you know, this bean field. It's late season, snow's on the ground. And so I go in there, and the first afternoon, I saw two super skittish does. <laughs> I was like, what the heck is going on here? And I said, man, you got – trail cam pics of him in here and he's like oh the 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 camera shorted out you know the same the, the i old, love the camera stories yeah, yeah the camera stories are awesome no i lost the card the card's corrupted yeah don't don't have batteries it. died a month so, ago so having- get back in the blind and i'm looking at the blind because something is just not adding up and what do i see i see a rip in the window and I'm like hmm that looks fresh look a little closer and sure enough, it looks like a broadhead has hit this window. And, and you know, that, that could have happened weeks ago. Somebody could have cut it with a knife, whatever. But I'm no dummy. Mm-hmm. So the young guy that took me out picked me up that night, and I said, so the, the guy that was in here last week missed that buck? I see where the ground blind got hit. And he goes, yeah, he was shooting with a crossbow, and – um." He was aiming his scope was uh, too the too, height over bore. The, the height over bore, yeah, <laughs> was not right, and he he shot the ground blind hook line and sinkered him. 
And you know what I did? I got, I got back, I packed all my stuff, and I left, and I've not spoken to that guy again. He knew all that happened and still threw me in yep. that ground blind. Instead of saying, hey, man, here's what happened. We, we really don't have anything big, you know, hit, hitting it. You know, we can try and go find some spots, but 100% lied, 100% yeah, threw wild. me in a gar hole. Um, and, and it was a guy I was sending lots of hunters to. But back to picking an outfitter, the perfect world is the way Chris Seymour does it in Kansas. He is the only outfitter that I will vouch for, and th- this is a – a 12 to 15 year relationship uh and and you know i i actually own a farm with him and 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 lease farms out there i'm not part of the outfitting program that he has but but he does it what i consider to be absolutely perfect he has leases that he runs cameras on Mm -hmm. now in kansas you can feed so he has corn piles he has feeders um, he puts cameras on scrapes. He puts cameras in funnels. And when you get there, he has collected all of that data from those trail cameras, and he sends you into a, a virgin spot that has not been hunted, or maybe it's not a virgin spot, but a big deer just showed up into the property. Right. And you go have at it. You're going into a spot that has a buck, it may not always be daylight, but you're going into a spot that has a mature buck to hunt that has not been harassed. And, and then, then it's on you. And, and, and for me, that, that is the, the perfect scenario and what right. I think guys should look for. And, and even with these outfitters that, that churn these hunters through, if, if you get a really good recommendation for one of them, you can propose that in your email. Say, Mr. Smith, I would like to come and hunt with you. I would like to hunt on a farm where I can hang my own stands. What I would like is for up-to-date intel, live pictures or or up-to-date pictures of a mature buck in this farm, and then let me go have at it. Yep. Some of them aren't going to let you do that, and that's fine. Move right along. And and don't get me wrong. There are guys that go – with outfitters every year and kill big deer it, it happens every year but the chances are not great and i i want to bet on myself more so <clears throat> than an outfitter and if you can find somebody that will turn you loose onto a virgin property or one that has recent pictures of a mature buck th- that's what you need to be looking for i mean you you did a thing this year in kentucky yeah, it was kind of the same same deal as Chris's kind of. I just got on a, a lease, and they let me put out my own cameras and sit wherever I wanted to sit. And uh, I actually just sent um, some money. I, I Venmoed this kid some money for a few bags of corn to go freshen up because they had that storm up. I mean, everybody got the storm, but um, to go put out, some corn in front of this camera to see if anything late season would show up nothing nothing big shown up but there's deer out there um but yeah it's the same thing i just hang my cameras where i want i I know the boundary lines and uh and sit wherever i want and and they pretty much 
gave me free reign of the of the place. So go whenever. Yeah, and and that that to me that's the ideal thing is to have a, a Seymour type guy or a property where where you have um, a trespass fee for for you know the season. You can go and come as you please. Um, you, you know, but some guys don't have the luxury of doing that. They don't have the time. Yeah. Right. They they need to. They've got to pick. Okay, November first through the seventh. That's my vacation. Um, I do not have time to go out there any other time of the year. I want to go have my best chances at a big deer um, for, for the rut or the pre rut. Uh, how do I how do I book with an outfitter? And and the the best advice I can give you is to get all the little details in writing. How many hunters? You know. Are the stands rested? Are the farms rested? Um, you know, wh- what time of year do you recommend? And, and a lot of these guys th- that, are, that are good at it, they're, they're going to be booked up. Yep. Right? Guys are going to repeat. And, and quite frankly, those are the ones you need to, to be looking at is, is the ones the guy calls and says, man, I am booked for the rut for the next two seasons, well, then you go ahead and get your deposit down for the for the third season because there's a reason guys are right. continuing to go back there. Got you, you call a really good, reputable outfitter that does it right, and he's got openings in, in November 1st through the 7th of 2023, he ain't the right guy. Mm-mm. I mean, he, he is not the guy you want to go with because there's a reason those guys that went November 1 through 7 didn't rebook immediately. Right, because those places are so far and few, few between. Yep. So what you're saying is it, it takes it's almost like putting in almost if you find it's almost like drawing a tag in Iowa if you find a uh, a good reputable outfitter you got to plan it out two or three years ahead of time to get your name in 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 the hat. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, absolutely right. Like like um you know even the guys in in Africa that that I work with you know if 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 you want to go on a on a free range fair chase Zambia lion safari, I mean it, it's a four year wait mm-hmm. to get in with these guys because they're they're booked up uh, so far in advance. So that, I guess that's another tip is when you call the guys and he says, "Yeah, we got four openings in the first or second week of November." That is a huge red flag, right? Um, you know, see more. You can. I mean, he's he's at max capacity too. He does add properties each year and coals properties each year. Um, he's he's at about about max capacity of what he can handle. Um, but but you can you can get in there in year two, year three if you if you contact him. Um, Kansas is getting tough. You know they're talking about Kansas is going to be just as hard as Iowa here in the next couple of years. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the draw this coming year, um, but but yeah, so that's my that's my spiel, I guess, on outfitters. Detailed email. Do not do it over the phone because words get twisted and confused, and then you have recourse to go back on. Right. You know, you have all your questions answered in writing, and you know you get there and it's not what he told you. Now they can't control the weather. You know, you go the first week of November and it's eighty degrees. You you can't get upset about that. You know that, that right. that's just that's they're wild animals. But but if 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 you're hunting a virgin spot, 
Um, it, it's in a good funnel. You know, it makes sense where it's hung. They're taking you in on the right wind. It's got good access. They're picking you up on time. You know, they're, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're working hard. You know, kudos to them. Uh, you, you can't get upset about that because you don't kill one. Um, it happens all the time. Right. I mean, I think the success rate on mature bucks is, is you know, with, with archery equipment is less than 20% in, in these in these you know, big Midwest states where big deer are. So it's it's not a guarantee. You can't think it is, but it, if things are run properly and it adds up to what you were expecting, then then the guy did a good job and it just is what it is. It's also nice if you can find a guy who lets you come back like late season or something when the, the schedule opens up if you don't kill, you know, that rut time or whenever you go up the first time. Yeah, cover his um, cost. Be, yeah, that'd be really nice. Yeah, cover his cost for going back, meals, lodging, whatever it may be. And, and guys will do that too. That, that's another good question to, to, to have answered on your list is, yeah. hey, if something happens, I don't get one in the rut, can I come back late season? And if so, what would that cost me to do? And that's something that I've learned. One of the big things I learned from you just business-wise altogether is having in writing. Yeah. Just everything have have it in and writing. And it's so sad. It's so sad that we've gotten to a point where you have to do that. Yeah, that and and sometimes people just forget. I know I've we forget stuff all the time. Like go check your email. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> he did tell me that. <laughs> I never do that. Oh no. <laughs> all right, now let's move on to something. I guess controversial bait. Corn piles and bait. If you ain't baiting, you're waiting. <laughs> Who said that? Uh, that was uh, T-Bone, was it not? <laughs> it's pretty baiting, funny. Right? Yeah, it is really funny. All right, so it, it's like the – I don't want to use another girl analogy. <laughs> lots and lots of people bait. It's like a moped. You'd <laughs> it's real fun go. riding it, but you don't want your buddies knowing about yeah. it. You know, we see posts all the time about a guy will stumble into a corn pile and, and say hunting or, you know, this is not hunting, this is baiting. and I mean, we could get into a whole thing on ethics, right, and, mm-hmm. and what's ethical and not ethical. Um, you know, everybody falls somewhere between these two parameters. I, I say this all the time. You, you go naked with your fingernails and teeth, or you use a 300 wind mag in a one acre pasture with a with a buck in there that there's no cover. You fall somewhere between that. The the one acre pasture with the tower stand and the corn feeder and the 300 wind mag is legal. But a lot of guys are going to th- say you know hunting in a high fence like that in one acre is not ethical. And and. That goes you all the way down to you going naked in the woods with your fingernails and teeth, making it as fair, humanly fair as possible. Mm-hmm. So you fall somewhere between there. When you go to the bait states, when you go to Kansas, when you go to Kentucky, when you go to Ohio, I won't say 100%, 95% of people put corn out, corn piles, yep. and they will hunt over those corn piles. 
right, wrong, whatever it is, it's legal, it's productive. Guys kill deer all over it. Um, heck, I, I mean, Mexico, Texas. I was just in Mexico, and there was corn out. And the guys would come in with the trucks, and when they dropped you off, they'd corn the senderos, and that's what brought the deer out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hunted over corn. Um, here in South Carolina, we put corn out early season. Um, we put mineral out. Uh, there, there's – you have to – for me – I don't. I don't care what guys do, um, and, and if a if a five and a half, six and a half year old giant buck wants to come into a corn pile at four o'clock in the afternoon and be dumb, I, I absolutely will take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. That for me very rarely happens. Where I almost use corn piles as food plots. Yeah, that's what I. I think it was the last. The last episode we were talking about that, I call it the poor man's food plot. Yeah, and and so that is, if you are manipulating whitetail habitat, if you will, if you are putting out a food plot, if you are putting out a corn pile, if you are putting out mineral, heck, if you're putting in a mock scrape, all that is manipulating the natural environment. I mean, guys that go on public ground and hunt funnels and hunt natural sign – that's a badge of honor. That's great. Um, guys that want to stack the deck in their favor a little more, put out food plots, put out corn piles, um, put out mineral, put out mock scrapes, you know, that's that's certainly fine too. Um, is it harder to kill one 100% naturally? Of course mm-hmm. it is. Of course it is. Uh, I think the main thing is is own it, yeah. right? Is is don't Don't talk about doing things – 100% naturally, and, oh, I'm the greatest hunter on earth. I read his sign, and he came in, and we, we always say he was eating muscadines. Yeah. That's her. That's her. He's eating muscadines and yellow acorns. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, own it, right? What, right. It, that gets into the – we're bouncing around a little bit. ADHD is taking over here, but that, that gets into the – I read a Facebook post this morning – a guy was talking. It was so well written. A guy was talking about how tired he was of. He's not the biggest buck, but he's going to fill the freezer. Yeah, that's that is super irritating. You, you've compromised what you were going after by saying he's not the biggest. So so you're not happy with him. He's not the biggest, but then you're justifying it by saying, but he'll fill the freezer. And no. You killed him anyway. And you killed him anyway. No. If you want to fill the freezer, <clears throat> shoot a doe or, or go shoot a buck. But don't say he's not the biggest. Yeah. That's the I wanted to fill my freezer, and the first deer that comes by, I'm shooting it because I want to fill my freezer, and I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Or if you're not happy with it, don't say anything. You don't have to make a dang Facebook post about everything you do. Th- th- that is true, too. You absolutely don't. But so, so baiting – it really is up to what you want to do. Yep. If if you want to hunt over the corn pile and and shoot a deer coming into it, have at it. God, it can screw you so hard too. Ask me how I. Know. It, it, yes, that that is the experience. You know, growing up in, in a bait state like South Carolina, 
I've just learned sitting over the bait, it, they're, they're going to come in downwind of it. The mature deer are. They're going to smell you. Um, how are you getting out of there? I mean, you can in the mornings, but how are you getting in there in the mornings? You're going into the bait pile in the dark. Yep. You're going to run everything off. Mm-hmm. You, you go in in the afternoons, and they come in after it, right at dark or when it gets dark. How do you climb down and get out of there? Yeah. So I guess if you are running supplemental feed or you are running bait piles, figure out spots where you can put them so that the deer are funneling by you going to right. the bait pile. And that's actually in that spot. I, it was my second time I sat it this year. Um, my buddy just got permission on it in the upstate uh, he was he had a camera with feed out um, there wasn't any feed out at the time but I think they were still coming through there just to see and what I did was he told me they were coming in there mid-morning or whatever and I I snuck in there in the dark because they for some reason they were coming in at the perfect time to go in there in there at the morning so it gave me plenty of time to hang everything and take my time but anyway um I just went in there past where they were coming through to the camera, and there's this giant blowdown. That one side, it, it went just to this steep creek, and then the other side, it went to the base of this hill, and there were two good trails coming right to each side of it. And I said, well, I could shoot 25 yards this way and 30 yards this way. I'm going to get right in the middle in this tree and see what happens. And he read the freaking script. Well, and, and there's something to say for a pure hunt. I mean, I mean that that is, I mean, that is so rewarding when, when you when you do a pure hunt. And what I mean by pure hunt means no bait, no food plots. Yep. You know, you, you get into the woods, you read the sign, you become a better hunter, um, and it, it's very very rewarding to kill a big deer or kill a deer like that. Yep. Um, you, you know. If you're baiting because you want to have an Instagram post of a deer, that's the wrong mindset. Right. Um, you know, you, you need to you, you need to own it, and if you want to bait, certainly fine. It's where it's legal. Knock yourself out. Um, it's a different kind of hunting. It's still hunting. You know, some guys say it's not hunting. It absolutely is still hunting it's just a different kind of hunting and my, my again i'll say it one more time and we can move on but just own what you do if you you know these guys that shoot the deer in the high fence i got no problem with that i actually think that that would be some great practice yeah you know early season go into one of these high fences and whack a couple deer um you know get the kinks out test your setup t- test all your stuff i think that's a great idea just own what you're doing right if you, if you go in there and, and shoot one don't come out and say you i see these posts all the time you know it's a high fence deer it's this big palmated freaking 320 inch deer and we hunted him for two weeks got 14 camera pictures of him blah 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 and you know it's in michigan you know at a and you know it's in a high fence just yep. whatever you do just own it that that's the that's the big thing for me and and be be prepared to get if you're living by the bait you'll die by it because i've been like i said and i'm sure it's happened to you i've been blown out right as it's time to get down by the big one or like this past i hunted um christmas eve afternoon on that same property in the upstate and i was like well i'm just gonna see what the wind is doing and hang in a tree depending on what the wind is doing and 
keep where that camera was in sight, but also hunt these trails. But at the same time, the first two times I hunted there, I've seen these deer come off this hill and cross this gas line in this just natural um, creek crossing. And if I didn't say, hey, I got to be near where I could shoot this area and just went and hunted the um, the creek crossing, I would have shot a, another big doe. But I had to, the, the bait mindset, even though there wasn't anything there, I was like, maybe they'll come check it again. And that ended up screwing me instead of just going 100 yards that way and setting up on the creek crossing where I saw four, four big old does. Yeah, it, it, it is. You're going to become a much better hunter getting away from bait. You're going to become a much, much better hunter getting in the woods, reading the signs, making mistakes, observing what the deer are doing, how they're moving through the area, unmanipulated. Um, you can be successful on bait, but again, especially here in South Carolina, I mean, which I can speak to with certainty, it is very, very difficult to kill a big mature deer in South Carolina with a bow over a bait pile. Right. Now, the, the, the farm where I was hunting last night, you know, they've got the, the tower stands and, and the food plots and the feeders that are 150 yards away. You know, you, you can, you know, guys out there do shoot some, some, some nice deer, you know, that way. And, and good for them. that They enjoy it. That's what they like to do, and that's perfectly fine. I guess wrapping this up, um, you know, we, we talked about outfitters, bait, and, and hit on ethics a little bit. It, it, there's a, a huge divide. Bait, bait hunting is frowned upon. Food plots can be frowned upon. Mock scrapes can be frowned upon. Crossbows can be frowned upon. Rifles can be frowned upon. High fence hunters hunting with an outfitter. If you aren't hunting out of a saddle with a recurve bow on public land in Pennsylvania, you aren't squat. I mean, it's so annoying. It's yep. so annoying. <clears throat> Guys, do things legal. Do things that you like to do that make you happy and just own what you do. Yep. Just just be honest about it and, and move on. I mean, it. You, nobody cares. What is it? Cameron Haynes, nobody cares. Yeah. Mark Carter. Yeah. N- nobody does really care. I don't care how anybody does anything. I'm I'm hunting for me and my family, and 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 I literally, as as cliche as this sounds, want to put food on our table. Um, we love to eat it, and and so <clears throat> I'm hunting for me and what what I want to do, and, and and for my passion. And I know you're doing yep. the same thing. And yeah, Kristen texted me the other day, and she's she was making like a venison stroganoff. And she goes, I think this is the last packet of ground meat. And I was like, how in the heck did we go? I think I shot. That would have been three deer already that I <laughs> I cut up and put in the dang freezer, and we ate all the ground meat already. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, I, I mean, so so it's it, it literally is something we do to feed our families. And, and it's healthy. It's good. Um, so, guys, we appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Any questions, comments, love to hear y'all's feedback on bait and outfitters. If you got any tips on outfitters, let us know. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy New Year. We'll be back in a couple weeks, and um, we'll, we'll touch on – hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get Justin in on the next one, talk about some goals and setting goals for, for the 2023 season. 
Thanks, guys. Take care.